It is your Tuesday Daily Delivery. I'm Michael Rand. Glad to have all you guys back for yet another day. Some glorious sunshine out there. I'm going to get uh, get out there and get after it. I think today maybe do a little do a little run and get outside. It's, uh, this is the time we wait for. We we think, you know, in my mind, like the good weather starts in March, and that's just like wishful thinking for me. Then April comes, and I'm like, okay, now it's really coming. And then April is, yeah, you know, it's, it's okay sometimes, but not always great. This April was not the greatest. But now it's May. We should finally be into pretty much consistently good weather. Fingers crossed, knock on wood, whatever you got to do. So get out there and enjoy it. These are the days we are waiting for and we work for all the winter long. But as usual, we're not here to talk about the weather. Sometimes I fall into that trap. I am a Midwesterner, North Dakota native, Minnesotan for a long time now. I fall into that trap, but uh, we're going to get out of that trap right now because we got a lot to talk about on the show today. Ben Gessling, Vikings writer from the Star Tribune, will join me here in just a little bit to talk about the Vikings, where they stand after the draft, the quarterback question, how Jordan Addison, their new wide receiver, might help their offense. Got into a good discussion about kind of specifics on that that I'll write about a little bit later on Tuesday as well. Um, there's a Darius Smith question, the Dalvin Cook question, just lots of stuff to chew on with this team, even as they kind of enter the uh, enter the less exciting part of their offseason. You know, some rookie mini camps, some other stuff coming up, but really the, the big picture offseason stuff will start to unfold once we get to training camp and get a fuller picture of what this roster looks like. Also, Carl Anthony Towns, Chris Hine took a swing at kind of what a Carl Anthony Towns uh, trade would look like, why that might be a good idea or why it might not be a good idea. Um, we'll get into that a little bit at the end of the show. First, though, what did I miss? Just going to spend a few minutes on the Wild today because they had their exit interviews on Monday. A lot of players talking about the disappointment of how this season finished. A very familiar lament. The Wild has lost seven straight postseason series. First round exits in all of them, six true playoff series, and the one kind of preliminary round in the COVID season. I took a I took a shot on Monday at kind of finding some common threads in all of this, and it was kind of hard because you know the 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 real common thread is that they've lost right in, in the in a volatile NHL where lower seeds win all the time, where upsets happen in this league all the time, where. Florida just beat you know one of the greatest regular season teams of all time, Boston, in seven games, where an eight seed knocks off a, a one seed a quarter of the time in the first round, where the margins are so slim. The Wild consistently loses in the first round. And why is that? Why, why has that been over the years? And what I found was there have been some different culprits, right? Like some years it feels like the other team has a clear goaltending edge and, and exploits that in a series. Sometimes it feels like the Wild comes up short with its own offense. I think that 2017 series against the Blues is a good example of that. Sometimes it's special teams like this year and last year that really tell the story. The constant for me, aside from the fact that they've been bounced now seven years in a row in the first round, giving up basically an average of a little over three goals a game, scoring a little more than two goals a game. I mean, that's playoff hockey, right? 3-2 is a very playoff hockey score. The real constant to me and the only player who really put a finger on it on uh, on Monday, the least that I saw, the real constant to me is a lack of killer instinct. And now that was voiced by a few wild players. I think Ryan Hartman was the one that really had the best 
kind of kind of uh, kind of finger on that pulse. He said, "I don't think we capitalized on our opportunities to extend leads within games." He's talking about to get leads to extend series leads. Hartman said, "There's a lot of opportunities to score the first goal in a couple games. We could have been up two nothing, three nothing in the first period, and we failed to do that." Bingo, Ryan Hartman. That was something some of what I wrote about on Monday when I was looking for common threads. Five times now in the last four years, the Wild have had a series lead. 2020, in that preliminary round, they won the first game. 2021, they won the first game. 2022, they were up 2-1 in the series. And then this year, they were up 1-0 in the series and 2-1 in the series. In all five cases, they lost the very next game. In four of those five cases, they lost the next three games the only difference being this year when they won the they, they lost when they were up 1-0 uh, but then won right away to go up 2-1 again but then got swept out again uh, with the next three same with last year when they went up 2-1 swept in the last three uh, 2021 they won the first one lost the next three 2020 won the first one lost the next three to be out of that series so whatever that is if you want to call it a killer instinct if you want to if you want to call it the ability to capitalize on the moment to to ride momentum maybe that is a common thread maybe that's where the team needs to get better and obviously you know the opponent has something to do with that right if the opponent's down in the series that's when desperation kicks in that's when you have to realize you have to be disciplined you have to realize you're going to get the other team's best effort and i don't feel like the wild have been able to do that in these last four years in particular I don't know if that's teachable. I don't know if that's coachable, but it's recognizable at the very least. And it seems like at least Hartman sees it. Maybe that's something they can carry into the offseason and understand that it's not so much the talent sometimes. It's not so much the effort. It's recognizing the moment, knowing what is going to be coming at you next and realizing, hey, this is the game where we really got to put our foot down and really kind of get to the forefront and take control of this series because that right there is where they have failed in the last four years in particular in this seven-year stretch. Take a playcation to Mystic Lake. With 24-7 gaming, the good times never have to end. And you can satisfy your cravings at our restaurants and bars. Or relax in one of our luxurious hotel rooms. Those that play together, stay together. And don't forget to join Club M so you can spark new memories and bask in the rewards along the way. Follow the lights to Mystic Lake, where every day is play day. All right, let's bring in Ben Gessling right now, Vikings beat writer from the Star Tribune. Going to try to give him some uh, well-deserved time off. I imagine this is a little bit of a less stressful week than the ones leading up to the draft were, Ben. But uh, wanted to bring you on, not just to kind of talk about the draft and the aftermath, because, you know, I think it was an interesting draft. And in kind of reading through the the five questions um, post that you did on Monday, um, that's in Tuesday's paper as well, I I, yep. I figured... What what they did in the draft was interesting, but left just by just by looking at what you wrote, left a lot of the same questions that we went into the draft with unanswered. What what happens at quarterback now? They didn't take a they didn't take a Kirk Cousins replacement. What about Zadarius Smith and Dalvin Cook? They're still still on the roster. How how do they remake the defense? They didn't do a whole lot of upgrading, at least not with top one hundred picks. So I'm hoping to get into all of those things and more. But uh, first off, how you doing? I'm doing well. I'm uh, mostly recovered from from the weekend. I decided to throw in a 
22 mile run the morning of day three of the draft too. So, you know, just a, just a, a light jog before <laughs> day three of the thing. So, but you know, we're, we're doing fine. We're uh, getting back to it here. I run too, Ben, but I like to have, I like to have 22 mile weeks, not uh, yeah. 22 mile days these days. I just did right before we started talking, I did about three and I felt yeah. good, but it is, we are yeah. getting into the time of year where it's not just work to run. It's actually pleasurable to be outside in these, uh, in these days. So uh, I, the winds are not 35 miles an hour. It helps, but you know, yes. we, we make do at least it's not snowing. We, 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 we tell ourselves lies about what are nice days, but it, yep. it's, it's, decent. We sure we're getting into the decent running season. That is for sure. Yeah. Um, let's start, let's start with quarterbacks because there was, um, more than just idle speculation. There was legitimate intrigue about would they take a quarterback in this draft? And I think two things set that up. One, how they approach the offseason with, with Kirk Cousins, where ostensibly he is a free agent after this season. And, you know, number two, there was legitimate, you know, questions about could they move up for somebody like Anthony Richardson? And you, your own reporting, you you mocked him to the Vikings at like 11 or 12, yep. somewhere in that range. Yep. And, you know, your reporting suggested they liked him quite a bit. So there was this possibility that they could draft the successor to Kirk Cousins. They did not. Where does that leave them now at quarterback? Obviously, we know where it leaves them in 2023. Where do you think that leaves them in 2024 and beyond? Yeah, I mean, it, it kind of leaves us in the same place we were in, right? It, it, they take Jaron Hall in the fifth round, who they liked from BYU. And and we talked about that, I think, a little bit last week as, as a name yes. to watch, because that was somebody they had talked to before the draft and came away with a good impression of him. But he doesn't come in as the immediate successor or the obvious next guy for Cousins. He'll need some work and the ceiling being high enough to think that he's going to be that guy. I think that's – you can't put that on – a fifth round pick no. who hasn't been in an NFL caliber offense or at least an NFL style offense yet. So I don't think they're thinking of it that way, which means they are basically still in the spot they were in. Cousins is the free agent after the year. They, I think, still want to, if they're going to replace him, to have it be somebody that is an upgrade or they think has the potential to be an upgrade. Uh, probably it's going to have to be the potential to be an upgrade with a rookie, but I, I think they will look for one, <clears throat> excuse me, one of those quarterbacks they think could be a blue chip guy, could be a franchise type player if they can get one. And they know it's expensive, it's expensive, it's difficult to do it. They liked Anthony Richardson a lot. I really believe that had Richardson slid a little further, they would have made a strong push to go get him. Four was going to be tough to get to, and you you saw what it took to move up to three when the Texans came back up and traded with the Cardinals. I mean, you're, you're talking about a lot to give up. And if the Colts were set on him, three was the only place you could really get to. Right. to get him. Because if the Colts were going to take him at four, you didn't really have an option. It The whole quarterback thing would have opened up more if the Texans had not taken CJ Stroud, because then you're sitting there saying, okay, three, uh, the, the Cardinals may have gotten a big offer for somebody to come up and get Stroud anyway, but it's a little bit more in play when those two guys are still on the board. Or there was some thought that the Colts liked Will Levis enough to possibly take him in the top 10. Obviously, that was not the case. Anthony Richardson turned out was their guy. So it was going to be tough for them to move up that far, especially without a second round pick. I mean, you're talking about giving up years of first round picks to do it. And I think. If it was 24's first round pick, yeah, they probably do it. But if you're talking 24 and 25, 
and maybe something else in there, that would have been, I think, quite a bit to do. So it leaves you in this same spot where I think it's possible that Cousins returns in 24. And I know everybody is, well, there's, there's two camps. There's one that's clapping and there's one that's groaning. That tends to be how things work with Kirk Cousins. I, I got some emails this morning saying that all you reporters are nothing but negative on Kirk Cousins. I'm thinking of, of the reporters that you would say are all of the time negative on Kirk Cousins. I, I don't know that my track record would suggest I'm the first place to go with that, but whatever. It's fine. Um, this is the debate with Kirk Cousins all the time. Is is he good enough? Is he going to be somebody that can take you on a deep run? Or do you need to figure out a way to move forward with him and or to move forward beyond him, I guess I should say. I, I think they are they have their eyes fairly open about that. I, I think they know they have a good starter at that position in a spot where not a lot of teams do. So if they could get him signed, if he has another strong year this year and they can figure out a contract that works for both sides in terms of how the guaranteed money shakes out, I don't think that's out of the question. If they don't do it, I think you either look at them trying to make a big move up next year to take a swing at Caleb Williams or Drake May, the top two quarterbacks in next year's draft, at least as we sit right now. Or you say, let's get a bridge starter for the time being. And then you keep coming back to try to find that guy in the draft to be the the long-term option. I I don't think they want to, to do something where it's let's sit with a 15, 16, 17 ranked starter in the league for the next 10 years. I, I don't think they think Cousins is that. I, and some people would say he is. I don't think they view him that way. I think they probably would put him, you know, probably where I think a lot of us would probably eight to 10, something like that. Um, yeah. So I think that's a good thing to have. I mean, certainly to have a guy that's durable, a guy that's accurate, a guy that can command your offense, a guy that's been a lot better at the end of games, that is a valuable commodity. I don't think they want to come off of that for just to, just anybody. So that puts us where we were. It makes it expensive to to execute the solution that I think they want to try to do. But I also think they are not trying to patch this together with just anybody. I, I think if they're going to move off of Cousins, they want it to be somebody they believe can be the answer at that position for a long time. Yeah, and that makes sense. And part of the reason we're having this conversation so intensely this year, and you know, I think past debates about Cousins have maybe been a little bit more one-sided on the wishful thinking of those of us who thought this Cousins just isn't the guy. He's good, but not great. But the Vikings felt differently about him. that He was their guy. The reason this conversation changed this year is because of the way they approached their negotiations with him and just yeah. didn't extend him. The, the fact that they put at least a potential end date, an expiration date on this beyond, you know, at the end of this season made this conversation a lot more relevant this season. Yeah, they kicked open this question in a way that they have not. I mean, let's be very clear about that. They have repeatedly come back and said, no, he's our guy, at least for the next couple of years. They left, they opened this question up by the way they handled the contract. So we have to talk about it. Yes. And to your point, it wasn't just going to be anybody. Will Levis was there at 23. Hendon Hooker was there at 23. Hooker still there at 68 when when Detroit ends up taking him. I think that was the slot he got he got picked in the third early in the third round. Um, you know, Levis doesn't go till early in the second round. Like if they liked either of those guys enough, they had the capital or they could have just done it right there at 23. Um, so to your point, if they didn't think those were the guys, they weren't just going to make a yes. change at quarterback or draft a quote unquote quarterback of the future if they didn't believe in that person, at least at that draft slot. 
Yeah, and here's how they viewed a lot of the quarterbacks in this group. It was not that, oh, we think these guys are going to be terrible quarterbacks. They knew that if you take one at 23, the expectation becomes this is your starter in 2024. They did not believe that Will Levis or Hendon Hooker, at least at this point, were going to be up to that task where you come in and there's every eye on you from the day that you step in the building through every rep you take in training camp. They would have had myself and everybody else sitting there charting every pass in training camp, you know, probably almost to excess because I I tend to think that stuff is is probably not really worth as much as it gets made to be. But you would have had that happen. So that rookie would have been under the microscope knowing that there is an expiration date with Cousins. So they did not view Levis or Hooker as being ready to step in and do that in 2024. So part of it was they weren't going to take a quarterback in that spot, knowing that that comes with it. When you take a quarterback in the first round, there is an expectation that comes with it. There's messaging that comes with that player that I think they just didn't want to put on guys. They didn't feel we're going to be ready to handle it. Now, I got a specific question and then a first a more general question, though, because the player they do take is Jordan Addison, wide receiver from USC. Um, you know, not not a guy with a lot of size, but a guy that can, you know, can play on the outside or on the inside in the slot, can get open, kind of they say plays faster than his, you know, foot speed. I think his combine time was four, four, nine. So they add somebody to the offense who they feel like can help, certainly in, in a general sense. How does Jordan Addison complement what they want to do on on offense yeah i mean this has been a question that kevin o'connell has talked about and and has asked himself a lot and that question is when teams do what they do against justin jefferson where they sell out and say we're going to devote a lot of resources to just making sure this guy doesn't beat us you have to have ways to punish teams for doing that and that was why they got tj hawkinson that was what motivated this pick you need other people that they feel like are dangerous enough to draw coverage away from Justin Jefferson or effective enough to benefit from and exploit the one-on-one matchups you're going to get if people try to take Jefferson away. So Addison comes in as a guy, I think that can play all three spots. O'Connell talked about that. They're going to train him in every spot, knowing that they're going to move Jefferson around. So they want to have other receivers. They can do the same thing with, he can get downfield. He's not the biggest guy in the world. So he's going to get pressed. He's going to have to figure out how to beat press coverage. Cause I'm sure people are going to try to be physical with him to disrupt timing. But he's been a guy that can separate with a, a variety of route running moves. He's a guy that I think can can stop and start quickly enough that you create a lot of separation that way. It's the kind of the sharp breaks, the things that we saw Stefan Diggs do so well. Yeah, so that's kind of the comp. I'm, that's kind of the comp yeah. I'm feeling in my head yep, right now. Yep, yep. I think that's true. And and Diggs turned into more of a a deep threat over the, his time in Minnesota. But the thing he probably did the best is. Mike Zimmer used to talk about this all the time, that he would be able to make cuts without sacrificing much speed. So when he would make breaks and the defensive back has to react to it, and all of a sudden he can't slow down as quickly as Diggs can or stop and start again as quickly as Diggs can, you can create several yards of separation just by, A, knowing where you're going when the other guy doesn't, and being quicker in and out of it than the other guy can be. So you don't have to be the best deep threat in the world or be the the biggest guy in the world if you're able to do that. And there's not really a combine test that measures that. I mean, you know, I suppose a 10-yard shuttle in some ways, but we don't really have a great metric for there's a guy covering you. How much separation can you get on him within 
a couple of seconds or within you know the top of a route you know, where you might break one way or and he thinks you're going another way. I, I think there's a lot of that that he brings to it that is just really hard to quantify unless you're watching the tape and, and you see it in games. So he's going to be a guy, I think, that brings some of that to the offense. And I think they hope can be, you know, probably a little bit of a, at least an intermediate target for Kirk Cousins that can do some things after the catch when he gets the ball as well. Yeah, and that's a good point because that brings me to kind of the more specific thing. You go back to the playoff game and a lot of things went went wrong in the playoff game. There's a lot of things they could have addressed in the draft that would have been directly related to the playoff game. You think about yeah. the defense, you draft a corner, maybe that helps you, you know, in a situation where you gave up, you know, 31 points, more than 400 yards. The defense was certainly a problem last season. You you could have gone, you know, offensive line, defensive line, a lot of different places you could go to to help your team, but you go wide receiver and to me, it, you go to fair or not, you will always with that with that playoff game, you will you will return to the fourth and eight play where I think you know Kirk Cousins gets probably more of the blame on that play than he deserves because there were yeah, not a lot of great angry. options on that play. I didn't yep. love a lot of the the play design. You, the, some of the guys who were running the routes weren't open. The protection was bad. Like he he. I don't know if he made the best of a bad situation, but it was a bad situation that he was put in. And, you know, I thought part of the reason I was fascinated by this draft was I thought back to that play and thought about how a more mobile quarterback maybe makes something out of nothing there, whether it's escaping the pocket and giving yourself more time to throw or actually just using your feet and trying to run for a first down in that situation. So part of that was intrigue over someone like Anthony Richardson who could become a quarterback like that. Short of that, someone like Jordan Addison, I plug him into that play and I've watched it again, like five or six times, just like I did when it happened. I watched it five or six times on Monday before we started talking, thinking about how he could run a route out of the slot or wherever he is, how useful someone like him would have been on that play where he's facing pressure, where Hawkinson, I don't know what exactly he was supposed to be doing there, but that wasn't happening much. Osborne it was an out route after chipping, which was yes. the they had him chip first. And he wasn't supposed to be the, he wasn't supposed to be a receiver in that play really at all. Right. Like Certainly he was wasn't not, the number one option. He wasn't even like the number two or number three option on that play, and that which is weird to begin with because he's probably your second best target. But I digress. A lot of things were wrong with that play. Jefferson's double covered. Thielen's not open. Osborne's not open. You can maybe make a case that you throw to Osborne, maybe make a case that you throw to Jefferson in double coverage. But someone like Addison, and not to put so much on him, but someone like Addison doesn't even have to be a fourth and eight, but it was a fourth and eight in this case. Some, I don't think they had a lot of great 10 or 12-yard plays in their offense last year. I think they had a lot of good 15 to 20-yard plays. I think they had a lot of good 6 to 8-yard plays. I don't know, but the interme- intermediate route that you're just talking about right there, something that he could do well. I just kept thinking how useful he could be on a play like that and on a situation like that, and I wondered if that play sticks in O'Connell's head in the same way it sticks in my head. Yeah, I don't know if it does or not. I mean, I, I think it was interesting. He did bring up, well, you know, he's a guy that could maybe turn eight yards into you, you throw him a pass for eight yards and he, and he goes for 16. And everybody kind of said, well, did he pick eight just arbitrarily or was there something behind that? Like, I didn't I even hear that quote. I love it, though. That's yeah, great. Okay. I don't I don't think that was like a subtle message that he picked the number eight there. Yeah. Yeah. I, I wouldn't I wouldn't assume that. I wouldn't. It's fun but, to think he did. Well, it's fun to think that yeah. he did. Yeah, I mean, maybe. I, I I don't know if he did or if he didn't. I'm going to lean on the side of saying it was just probably an not. offhanded thing, yes. and, and it probably just happened to be coincidentally the same number that they needed on that last play. Yes. But the point remains, 
he does bring that element to the offense where he can run after the catch. He's a guy that can get open underneath and, and they hope can turn into somebody that is a, a valuable threat in the offense. So that if you do have that situation where people are double teaming Justin Jefferson, you need somebody that can get open quickly. Yes. And the press coverage part, can he beat that? I think that's going to be the big question that answers whether he can get open quickly in some of those spots. But if he can, he becomes a target maybe underneath and then has enough, you know, twitchability or, or twitchiness to use the the scout jargon terms that you hear all the time over the draft over the weekend. Maybe he has got enough of that that he can make a play, get you a first down, and then you keep going. Because the thing is, you still have a quarterback in Cousins, for better or worse, that is not going to force the ball an awful lot. And we saw him do more of that where he was making tougher throws into double coverage. Justin Jefferson certainly encouraged him to do that. But his default status is not gunslinger guy. He's no. not going to go out and be you know, Brett Favre or, or somebody that you know, Patrick Mahomes has some of this to his game. And Patrick Mahomes does a lot of things that most people on this planet just can't right. pull off. So you get away with that. But Cousins is not that guy. And he's probably in in that situation not going to be that guy where it's just, okay, fine, Justin, go get it. And they, and certainly that happened in Buffalo in the, on the 4th and 18. And I think there was probably some instruction there, hey, trust Justin, give him a chance. And I, I think they'll probably try to keep nudging him in that direction, but he's not going to make that choice all of the time on his own. It's There is a high priority on taking care of the ball. There's a high priority on making smart decisions with it. And in that spot, when it's got to have it, it is tough to get him out of that space. And you almost have to operate in a different mindset completely than he does most of the time, which is really hard to do. I think just human nature, it's hard to do that. So. If you have somebody that okay, knowing how the knowing how Kirk plays, knowing what his typical mode of operation is, if we can find a guy that works within that, that helps us be better within that, that's probably a good thing for everybody. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense, and that makes me think that they could be better a better third down team this year because they're not always going to be kind of those fourth and eight doer down doer do dies, but you know third and six, third and seven, those are important downs. Those are the downs you got to win in games to keep drives going. And they did an okay job of that, especially in the biggest moments of the games last year, but they had a lot of times where drives just stalled, where if you take away Jefferson, the whole thing kind of falls apart. So maybe that, that does help solidify, you know, what was already a good offense and take it to another level. On the other hand, they have not done much with the defense. They, I know they addressed it with, you know, a lot of the other later picks in the draft and somewhat in free agency with Byron Murphy, with Marcus Davenport, but it's looking like this will be a, a Brian Flores go coach him up kind of thing, and and I'm just still wondering what what the plan is, uh, what the plan is there to a certain degree, and and how much they are kind of banking on the development, especially in in the secondary. Yeah, I think that has to be a lot of it because they didn't have a lot of money to spend, and they only had one pick in the first two rounds, and they ended up with only one pick in the top 100 once they traded back. I mean, that 100 is an arbitrary distinction, so it's yeah not that big of a deal. But this was not one of the years where they're sitting there with four or five, and they're not the Lions or the Packers, where they had all of these choices in the first two, three rounds of the draft. So getting premium talent at the cornerback position is always difficult. It's going to be even more difficult when you can't pay for it, and you don't have that many picks at the top of the draft, and you have a lot of needs in other places. So Yes, it is going to be a year where you count on Andrew Booth to get better. You count on Caleb Evans to get better. You hope that 
Makai Blackman comes in and can be a contributor. Uh, Byron Murphy needs to probably be cornerback number one in a lot of cases. Um, Jawan Williams, who they added from uh, former Patriot uh, that they signed on kind of a flyer deal, is going to be a big part of it as well. But you could make a case that the most significant addition they made to the defense is the coordinator. In yes. the sense of if you look at who has the most equity built up in the NFL in terms of a track record of this person has been successful at what they do, it's probably Brian Flores. So there's certainly a let's bank on him being able to scheme up something that works for our group and him being able to develop a lot of the players that we have because there's no doubt there was frustration last year with Ed Donatel and the scheme not really working for what they wanted. I mean, you know, Kevin O'Connell made enough veiled kind of hints at that towards the end of the season that it wasn't hard to figure out. And obviously the move he makes is to go almost a completely opposite direction in terms of the philosophy. So does it work? Do you have guys that can play man coverage? We don't know because you just, you haven't seen them do it in the NFL. They have the body types that you would think, yes, but it will take some time. It will take a lot of work to develop into that. But they didn't have a lot of great options to do anything else. And I think certainly the bet is on Flores being able to get more out of this group and help some of these players who were, you know, a second round pick in the case of Andrew Booth, a first round pick in the case of Lewis seen, try to develop these guys into something where you all of a sudden they do become cornerstone type players on your defense. It's just that you don't start the year thinking of them that way because you haven't seen them do it yet. Yeah, no, that, that makes sense. Um, what, doesn't necessarily make sense. A couple more things for you, Ben, before we let you go. What doesn't necessarily make sense is it's May now. The draft has come and gone. Dalvin Cook and Zadarius Smith are still here. Are, yes. are we inching towards the possibility that they're just going to ride with these two guys, or do you feel like something is still likely to happen with, with one or both of them um, before we get to training camp even? Yeah, I I think something I don't know if training camp will be it. I could see something even, you know, before the start of the season. Um it may be a, a situation where if somebody has an injury that hey, we we all of a sudden need an edge rusher or we need a running back. Maybe it becomes that kind of a discussion. The tricky thing here with these guys that I think was going to make it difficult to get anything done over the weekend is that you probably have to adjust the contract of either player. In the case of Zedaria Smith, it's that he wants more money. In the case of Dalvin Cook, it's that he has the fourth highest cap hit in the league for a running back at $14.1 million. It doesn't make sense for the Vikings to carry him at that number. I don't think they want to give either player away, though, which is why I think this has played out as long as it has. I don't think it necessarily means that they're both here. I don't think it necessarily means that we've heard the last of this. I I think if they're here, the contracts get adjusted. I, I really think that, especially Cook... If he's going to be here, uh, the team probably doesn't look at that deal at this point as being a a great play for them. The reason he's still here is he had that guarantee kick in and you're not just going to give him away. So yeah. I think they would be open to restructuring the contract, certainly, and bringing him back on that capacity. But does he want that? Is he going to agree to that? I, I, that's a question there. Is that Arius Smith, the, the Vikings are happy with the price. I mean, you you'd like to have more cap space, but... It's a friendly deal for the team in terms of what he's getting paid based on the production. He wants more money, though, and he has been fairly vocal about that on on Instagram, you know, kind of wishing his goodbye to Minnesota. And then the leak comes out 
seconds later that he wants a new contract. That's not an accident. You can no. figure out where that stuff comes from. Um, it, so it there's not much mystery in terms of what he wants, and there's not much mystery in terms of what the Vikings seem to want with Dalvin Cook especially. So how all of that gets, gets done is, I think, worth watching. It, it, I would point out this, too, that both of these players are signed for this year. Both of these players have guaranteed money, and yet – Quasi Adolfo Mensa says over the weekend, we continue to be in communication with them to try to work out solutions. What solutions are there to work out if we're just going to keep everything as is? They're under the cap by a couple of million dollars. These guys are on the roster. You could sit here and say, hey, there's nothing to do. They're on the roster. End of story. The fact that he continues to say we're working towards solutions tells you a lot. Yes. That this is not done. No. They didn't take an offensive lineman. Let's end there. Uh, yeah. For the first time in, I think you wrote, since 2017, they didn't pick one in the top two rounds. I think I had and three thresholds in there for you. Just to, I, I tripled I down just to get you going. Yeah, you did. I, I read it. I read every. I read every word of, of especially of offensive line coverage. Um, they haven't done anything really meaningful at all to upgrade the offensive line this offseason. I, I guess you could consider at least the tackles, a position of strength, but you do have O'Neal coming off the injury. Yeah. Um, this is either a signal that they feel pretty good about it or they just can't do much about anything else or maybe a little bit of both. Yeah, I think it's probably a little bit of both. I, You know, the fact that Garrett Bradbury is back is... Yeah, I wondered how that would go. Um, I wondered if they would try to get something done with him or not, but I, I think they looked at their options and said this is still a better spot than we could be otherwise given the fact that it's expensive to add players and or you know having a rookie come in especially when you didn't have very many picks and you're probably not going to take one at 23 that would have been a hard spot to be too now Garrett Bradbury's deal basically they can get out of it after a year Ezra Cleveland is a free agent after the year Ed Ingram needs to be a lot better in year two than he was in year one so there are a lot of things to figure out in the middle of that group especially um, they didn't do anything to add to it. So I think it's the first time since I don't know, I think it was 2007 that they, they didn't draft one at all. Yeah. One at all. And the first time since 16 that they haven't taken one in the top three rounds. First time since 17, they haven't done it in the top two. So they've invested a lot to try to fix a spot that had been an issue for a really long time for them. And they didn't do that this year. I think in part, just because they didn't have a lot of resources to do. I mean, you just didn't have right. enough ways to get to everything on the grocery list this year. There just wasn't enough options to go do that. So I think that's part of it. You're gambling a little bit there with Garrett Bradbury coming back and hoping that he's better, hoping that Ed Ingram gets better, and then maybe that makes Bradbury's life a little bit easier. You're hoping Brian O'Neill is healthy by training camp. They've said that they think he will be, but we won't really know that until he goes out there and does it. You hope Christian Darasaw continues to develop into one of the best tackles in the league. It certainly seems like that may be the best bet they have. And they probably need a little bit more from Ezra Cleveland as well. So there are a lot of questions there. I, I think it's the same questions we had at the end of the season, simply because they weren't able to do a lot. The the thing I, I will say that they I feel like they do have going for them is there are some depth options. They're not completely devoid of solid backups that they could trust if they needed to make an adjustment there. Chris Reed is a guy that's played a long time in the NFL. Blake Brandle, I think, has shown that he is a, a capable NFL offensive lineman, and they like Vidarian Lowe, the second-year guy, uh, quite a bit as well. So there could be some competition, especially if Ingram is a trouble spot, or you know maybe you if you clear up some cap space with Smith or Cook, you can go get somebody. You know th- those 
day, those cut down day moves right. have served them well in the past, whether it's been a guy like Jeremiah Searles or they had one other one, Mike Harris, I think the year before that, okay. that you know, guys you get that are somebody else's cut and he can come in and be at least a serviceable starter, a guy that can come in and play and, and contribute. I mean, you know, heck, a guy like Joe Berger, we've talked about yeah. a million times in this podcast, but those guys are super valuable because they make a million or two, two million dollars a year. They come and they play well, they take care of their stuff, and you don't realize how valuable those guys are until they're gone. And if they find a guy like that, maybe Chris Reed turns into that guy, we'll see. But those types of players are not sexy pickups for anybody. But if you make one, sometimes you look back at the end of seasons and say, man, I, I think of that was 2017. Like they got so much out of Joe Berger that yes. season in a spot where they needed it really, really badly, that that was one of the keys to, at least in my mind, of that whole thing coming together as well as it did because they needed a guy to come in there and step in and play well. I think he played just about every snap and was able to play in a number of different spots. So those types of low-level pickups that don't make a ton of headlines, sometimes you look back on it, man, that was the one of the better things they did. So it's not out of the question they do that at some point here too, but as of right now, it's mostly roll with what you have and and hope that some of the players you have on the roster get a little bit better than they were last year. Any chance they could go back to the UP and get uh, Joe Berger <laughs> back for one more goal? Uh, the last, and so this has been like seven years, I suppose now, six seasons, I guess, since the, the last one he played. Uh, I, I think he has done what a lot of linemen do and lose a bunch of weight. I think okay. he's down to like 220, 230. Maybe okay. I, I think he's happily retired family man that's, uh, I think, fixing up cars. He's He's okay. got an impressive, like, like an old Studebaker and you know, he's a, he was had an engineering degree from Michigan tech. So super smart guy. Yeah. I think he's uh, I think he's happy to be at home playing with cars and uh, yeah, raising his family and, and kind of staying out of the public spotlight. So I, I don't think that oh. one's happening, but if you can find someone of the Joe Berger ilk, yes, I think you're always better for it. Okay. All right. Well, Ben, I appreciate it as always. We'll, uh, we'll talk to you soon. All right. Sounds good. Thank Mike. Always love catching up with Ben Gessling. We do it a lot on access Vikings. Um, but in this particular case, I just think there's a lot of interesting, lingering questions after the draft. Ben did a great job breaking down kind of what comes next, why the Vikings are in the spot they're in right now after the draft, and what you know what they might do still to to shape this roster going into 2023. And uh, later on today on the Randball blog, I will take a shot at kind of explaining the Jordan Addison pick within the context of that fourth and eight play that ended the Viking season last year. Where might he have helped, as Ben and I talked about during our segment, where might he have helped? How how specifically can someone like him help on a third and long, a fourth and long, especially one where the season is on the line? Let's finish with the cooler. Chris Hine took a swing at a Carl Anthony Towns kind of trade pros and cons. Not a real swing. He's not Kyle Anderson with Rudy Gobert, but a kind of metaphorical swing at what a Carl Anthony Towns trade would look like, why salary-wise it might make some sense, why action-wise it might not make sense, continuity-wise, things like that. Go give that a read, Star Tribune, startribune.com. It's a lot of the stuff that we've kind of talked about, especially with Chris on last week's show, but uh, it's nice to see it kind of all laid out in kind of a, a, a format that you can easily digest and think about. It's the biggest offseason question for the Wolves. What do they do with Carl Anthony Towns, and why might they do it? 
That will do it for me here today. Good stuff coming up on the rest of the week. Hope you have a great rest of your Tuesday. Back at it again tomorrow.